Welcome to the Insurance Business Babes podcast, where we show you how we've grown our insurance and related businesses through talking about what works for us, what didn't work, and will help you grow your own business through our struggles and our successes. This show is owned by CMED LLC and hosted by Kathy Klein and Joanna Wyckoff. And now let's get busy. Joanna and I have a guest, Christian Brindle, who I'm sure if you are listening to this show, you probably know Kristen. But Kristen, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Yeah, Kathy, thank you for having me, you both. I love the show you're doing. It's a tremendous need, and I'm really, really excited to be here. For anybody that doesn't know me, I'm Christian Brindle. I run the Seven Figure Medicare Agent Facebook group. I also run a YouTube channel under my name. And I run a little insurance agency outside of Salt Lake City, Utah, called Christian Brindle Insurance Services. And I eat, sleep, and breathe insurance business. So I love this kind of show. So I'm excited to be here. Well, welcome to the Insurance Business Babes podcast. So today, for the listener, we are going to focus on the best advice that Christian and Joanna has for those of you who are either in the hustle or the building. So if you've listened to Christian's podcast, but Christian and I have talked extensively about the different stages of Medicare business. So stage five is the hustle, and that's where you have a 100 or more clients. And stage six is building tweaking and maintaining systems. And generally, you have 300 or more clients in this stage. So these guys are going to give you some value bombs today. So Kristen, since you're our guest, why don't you start? What's some advice that you have for people in those stages? Yeah. So if we start off at, let's say, stage six, you know, building, tweaking, maintaining 300 or more clients, right? So in my experience, when I encounter somebody that has 300 clients or more, there's a couple things they have down, right? They have sales presentations down. They have down to get in front of people, right? Prospecting, lead flow. They have that part of the business down. A lot of times where they're struggling in terms of their evolution is the overall structure of their business, the infrastructure, the efficiencies, those kind of things. And so some advice that I would give to somebody in that stage is you need to start transitioning. And in my opinion, I think some people might hear this and disagree with what I'm about to say, but I'm, I, this is just my opinion. I think you need to start transitioning from a single self-employed person to an actual business at that point. And I think in order to do that, there's a couple things you need to focus on. You need to start building a team. Maybe it's just even hiring one person, right? Depending on kind of where you're at financially. Someone that has five or 600 clients is probably more equipped to do that than someone that has 300. But you need to start building a team even if it's just one person. Like When you have nobody and you transition to having one person with you, even if they're part-time, it can be a game changer. And then you need to focus on structure, right? A lot of agents I see in that position, a lot of times they haven't figured out the structure. Like they're still putting all their clients on Excel spreadsheets. They're not using a CRM. They're not using automation, those kind of things. And so you need to start building out ways to remove tasks from your plate, whether it be through delegation 
or automation. And I think that allows you to get your time back. Because when you have 300 clients, 400 clients, 500 clients, and maybe you're, you're a one-man show, you're starting to spend a lot of your free time on maintenance of the business. And I think to kind of allow that maintenance to still happen... But without you having to do it yourself is, I think, the key to kind of continue to progress forward. Otherwise, if you don't do that, you just start growing slower and slower and slower until you're stagnant and you don't grow anymore. I'm actually a little concerned about that with my own. I have 558 clients right now. I am very automated. Joanna can attest to that. She's taken a little peek in my business a little bit. It was so hard the last AEP, you know, I was halfway through AEP and I had only gotten 13 new clients. I can look and see how many applications I've done, but that's not how I track things. I track brand new bodies under my roof and it was halfway through AEP. It was 13. Oh my goodness. By now I usually have, you know, way more than that. But I spent so much time last AEP dealing with all of the prescription drug plan changeovers. And usually we would send out one or two emails and then maybe a voicemail drop. But this year, this last year, it was so important to let everybody know, hey, your drug plan has changed dramatically. We probably did five emails and three voicemail drops. You know, we were really, really wanting, we want to keep our clients. So we don't want somebody to come and say, well, your agent should have done something and take them away from us. I don't know. When did you go through that? Yeah, I think it's, it's one of those things where I think some AEPs are more busy than others, right? I think as, as, you hit it right on the head. This AEP in particular has been, for lack of a better word, disruptive on the prescription drug side because of the the huge changes in preparation for Inflation Reduction Act impacts that'll take effect 2025. Some things are taking effect 2024. And so the prescription drug market has just shifted drastically. And then we've also seen a lot of Medicare Advantage companies change their benefits more than normal to kind of prepare for it. And so... I think for me, when the moment where I got to a point where I needed to kind of focus on these things was it wasn't even necessarily that crazy of an AEP in terms of changes or disruption, but I was a single agent. I was at somewhere between six to 700 clients and I didn't have any help. I was doing everything by myself and I didn't have any automation built into my business. I just, I didn't, I didn't know that I wasn't knowledgeable about that at that time. And I remember going through that AEP, and this was many years ago now, but I was working 90 hours a week, 100 hours a week, and just to maintain, but I was growing slower than ever, you know, and I thought I was going to (laughs) die that AEP. It was probably the most difficult moment in my life. I remember talking to a guy that bought books of businesses in Chicago. Look, I was trying to find a way out because I didn't know a way out. I felt like I was trapped. I built this prison for myself. Right. And I think a lot of agents go through this. And I talked to this guy. I was probably 24 at the time, 25, something like that. And this guy was like, listen, dude, like, you don't want to sell your business. He was a good guy. He was probably 20, 30 years older. You don't want to sell your business. You just need to make some some tweaks. You have a amazingly bright future. At your age, with what you built, you don't want to just get rid of it. And I'm grateful for that, that I was given that kind of advice because that dude could have probably... I'm not saying I would have sold the business, but I was just looking to see what was out there. 
he could have told me something, you know, tell me what I wanted to hear and maybe I would have done it. Who knows? You know, and but that but that was that that moment for me, which, you know, was I got to a point where I was overwhelmed and the business was bigger than one person could handle at that point in time. Right. And yeah, I, it's it's definitely one of those things where even a non super disruptive AEP can overwhelm you because the clients don't really know what's super disruptive or not. You know, like they're just, they're seeing the advertising, they're seeing, they're making it seem like every AEP is like the end of the world if they don't make a change. And the clients are calling, the clients are concerned, clients are freaked out. And I think eventually there's a ceiling of what you can do by yourself. Yeah. Well, I was lucky, Kristen, because I had a, an assistant from the very beginning from, from zero clients mm. because I came over from the financial planning world. I just brought her with me. When I retired from financial planning, you know, I had already started my book and I was, I was ready to sell my financial planning business. But for those of you who are out there thinking about selling your businesses, our businesses, unless you're super, super automated and you've built a big name and you have a team and you're paying yourself a salary and all of these things are happening, you're not going to get that much money for your business. But when I sold my financial planning business, I got, I don't, I think it was two and a half times, times net or something like that. After it all happened, I felt like I got ripped off. I really did. And because now that goose that's laying your golden eggs that could lay those eggs for the next seven to 10 years, it's gone. And all you have is the money that, that they gave you. And so when people are talking on the Facebook group about selling their businesses, I always tell them to think twice about it because you can, you can make some tweaks. So now I've always had an assistant and I've always had a virtual assistant and I've always been pretty automated. But what I did differently this, the, this last AEP than I did from the time before is I said, I am not doing prescription drug plan analysis for anybody unless they're already a client. And I stuck to my guns. When people came in and they said, well, I have a Medigap plan, but I just wanted, I want to keep that plan. I just want to do prescription drug. I gave them the link. Here's the link. Here's the, here's the video on how to do it. It's super easy and go for it. And I stuck to my guns. And, and if I did, a, if I did a Medigap and they didn't qualify for health reasons or whatever, I said, well, I'm so sorry. I only do the analysis for existing clients. Here's the link. Go for it. And I have to tell you, even though I didn't have a lot of clients done, new clients halfway through AEP, which was a little bit disheartening, I'm core. I'm just going to be upfront to the listener. We're recording this at the end of November through the end of December. I am completely booked up. We've been pushing all of the Medigap reviews, the people that say, I've got a Medigap plan. We've been pushing them to after AEP. Well, I don't have that many. I know that by the end of the year, I'm, I'm going to be where I was. And my life right now is so much easier. I'm not working 80 hours, 100 hours. I'm not working on Sundays ever. And I'm not taking appointments on Friday or Saturdays unless they're one-offs. Because, Kristen, you know this, my appointment scheduling software, I'm not going in and approving these. They're just scheduling it on my calendar. <laughs> one thing I did have to change, though, I had to change, Kristen, so that they couldn't schedule more than 
they couldn't schedule closer than 48 hours to comply with the with the scope of appointment rule. So my people can no longer schedule with me the next day or the day after. It's got to be at least 48 hours. So I don't know what, what your systems are at this point. What did you change? We changed some things from the standpoint to where we built in some automations into our, you know, go high level accounts and CRM accounts and things like that to where when an appointment's booked, we're requiring it to be booked at least 48 hours out. And and we can manually, our team internally can manually go in and change that. Like if maybe there's some reason we already have the scope, which sometimes that does happen. But outside of that, it automatically will send out like a fill-in PDF scope of a point documents. You know, it's all about making tweaks. The The story I told earlier was kind of to say, I think there's a lot of agents that find themselves in that position that I was in once upon a time, because most people don't start in the business with an assistant. Most people don't bring an assistant over, right? Like that's a great luck. That's a great, you know, value luxury. that you had. Yeah. Luxury yeah. to have to, to kind of start out. And it's all about, in my opinion, trying to get a little better every day at what you're doing internally and finding ways to do things easier. Kathy, you're great at that with all the automation that you do. At our point now, just to kind of give the listeners an idea of what can happen if you continuously improve, and it depends on how big you want to grow. Not everybody, not everybody wants to grow to a certain stage and that's fine. But for us right now, We've got no point now where like this AEP, I'm working less than I've worked ever, I think, during AEP. I think, I think I'm doing 45 hours a week, 50 hours a week, maybe. And, you know, we're doing millions of dollars in revenue that, now, you know, and I'm not writing apps anymore. Our team internally is writing apps. And I can focus on growing the business in a different way, right, from behind the scenes. Well, there's a lot of stages in Kathy's stages that you need to go through to get to that point. But... It all comes from making one tweak at a time. It's almost like building a house, you know, and you're, you're building the house one brick at a time, but you need every brick to build the house. You can't skip bricks. And I think that's super, super important is finding ways to improve tasks, processes. And if someone does want to grow to a certain size and a certain business size, you need to keep hiring people. You need to keep building out departments and all of that is, it's it's like a never-ending game. You know, it's like a game that you continue to play and it continues to get more difficult the different stages you get to. But it's, 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 it's a fun game. You know, like it's like trying to figure it out as you go. You know, because I run CertifiedMedicareAgents.com too. And so I yeah. get a lot of agents at different stages that come in to that program and it's funny, you can tell there's there's agents that don't have a website yet. Right. And right. so we started this conversation saying that we were going to focus the people who were in the hustle and the building stages, stages five and six. And I'm thinking that looking back, I'm thinking the hustle was probably the hardest stage for me. That was the the stage I didn't like. That's the stage where I was working the most hours and I wasn't making I really wasn't making enough money to live on. What would be your advice to to people that are in that hustle stage? Because I think that's the hardest stage. Yeah, yeah, I, I I would agree with you for sure. I think it's it's definitely difficult because you're at a point where you're starting to see some money coming in. You're starting to develop the groundwork of the business, but it's not like you're raking in the bucks yet, you know. <laughs> and my best advice. And this might be a little controversial, but I'm, you know, I 
been known to, I've been, I've never been afraid to be controversial. So I would out tell somebody that the fastest you can get from stage five to six, the better, right? And I think this stage in particular, in order to do that, you have to make more sacrifices than probably a majority of the other stages. You know, maybe, maybe like, you know, brand new person, right? Number four might make maybe a little bit more sacrifices early on, but it's, it's comparable. In my opinion, I think you need to grow clients and you need to make sacrifices. You have to work a little bit more. You have to push yourself a little bit more. You have to build that foundation to where you, you know, in the Medicare business, right? You have, depending on your state, 300, 350 clients and you're making six figure revenue. So, you know, you, you need to push to break through that barrier and get to 300, 350 clients, that kind of thing. And that's probably the best time to work more. That's probably the time to make the most sacrifices because the fastest you can get from stage five to stage six, the, six, the better. I've, I've known agents that, you know, just grow little by little by little by little, and they stay in that stage five area for such a long period of time. And they, they struggle financially. They struggle. They're stressed. You know, like you just as quickly as you possibly can. I mean, you always want to grow as quickly as possible, but in this stage in particular, I think you need to push yourself. You need to work more. doesn't mean you always have to work more, but at some point you probably have to work more, push yourself, make those sacrifices in order to grow your clientele as quickly as possible. And then you'll be able to pull yourself out of that stress, that stage, and kind of move into stage six. People are, are always asking on the Facebook group, but how? How do I get a client? And you know, the listener, sometimes you have to buy. You have to buy the client. Oh, you have to buy a lead. You have to put out some money to get a sale. Because if you've got 200 clients, you're not getting the same referrals that I'm getting at 558. And I'm not getting the same referrals as Christian's getting at whatever thousands of clients he has. And so sometimes because our we're on a big ship and it's moving, it's easier for us to get those referrals because we're keeping our clients happy. They're referring business to us. If you only have 100 or 200 or 250 clients, it's a lot harder. So you just yeah. may have to buy. You just may have to buy your leads. You might have to buy your clients. And there are lead sources out there where your lead is going to be more valuable than just a name and a phone number. Kristen, you're you're working with, is it Lead Heroes or who are you working with? Were they yeah. giving you preset appointments? So so tell us about that and how that's actually buying a client, right? Yeah. Because there's probably yeah, it, a high possibility that that's going to be a sale. So tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we, we do a lot of business with Lead Heroes and people always speculate that I have ownership in the company. I talk about it so much. Really what I am is I'm a customer like everybody else with Lead Heroes, but we do a lot of business together. We work really closely together. They give our agents pretty good pretty good prices on the leads and things like that. And so we work very intimately together and Glenn and I are very good friends. But they they offer a multitude of different leads. One thing they started doing as kind of a, a combat to a need, this AEP was a preset appointment with a scope of appointment already captured, a verbal scope of appointment already captured. And then they schedule it 48 hours out. 
Now, what I tell people when it comes to those appointments is I think a lot of people are expecting it to be like they get on the phone and they're taking an order. And <laughs> that's not realistic no. at all, right? It's it it is it it's a lead. It's a, probably just a little bit of a higher quality, higher intent lead than another type of lead. But I say that, you know, probably half of the preset appointments, maybe 60, maybe 70%, depending on your batch, will answer the phone and the rest won't. So you might have 30% that won't pick up when you call for your appointment. Maybe 40% won't pick up when you call for your appointment. And then there's going to be a percentage of them that you can't help, right? Maybe they're on the best plan. Maybe they don't qualify. Maybe they're on a med sup and they have health problems and you can't move them to another med sup and it'd be irresponsible to put them on an MA. There's going to be things outside of your control that prevent you from making a sale, but they are very good quality appointments. I always tell people that if you can, you should aim for when when you buy leads, I think you should aim for somewhere between 15 to 25% closing ratio, depending on the lead. This wouldn't be the case with every lead, but I think there's plenty of leads out there that 10% is your break-even mark, 15% is profit, and 20% and 25% is or you're doing extremely well from an ROI perspective on a lot of leads. But yeah, I think like those type of leads, what they do is exactly what you said, Kathy, they save you time, right? They, you have an appointment that's preset, the scope is already captured, you're saving yourself a lot of time let's say you buy another type of lead that you have to call, you have to chase and you have to chase all leads a little bit, but these are, you know, someone's already, they've already spoken to somebody, right? So like it buys back your time. So they cost a little bit more than an average lead would, but that's, that's a big part of what they're paying more for is that extra time that it saves you. Absolutely. I mean, even the leads that come in on certifiedmedicareagents.com, which, you know, I'm biased because I see these leads and I see what the people are writing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this person's telling you that they're turning 65 and they've actually reached out to you. So this person's reaching out to Kristen Brindle. So it's a different thing than the preset appointments. Yeah. And the most expensive one on there is 40 bucks. And I'm like, some people are telling me, well, I don't want to pay $40 for it. I'm I'm thinking, this is a lead that just told you they're turning 65 and they reached out to you by name. And you're telling me you don't want to spend 40 bucks on it for something that you're probably going to earn three to $700 on. For a while there, I hired a business coach. And (laughs) this was way back when I was a financial advisor. And she said, well, how much can you afford to spend on a lead? And I was like, I don't know. And she said, well, how much do you make per client? And I said, well, I probably make about 5000 a year per client and could have been more. I, I don't remember. And she said, well, that means you can afford to spend $5,000 on a lead. And I'm like, I can't afford to spend $5,000 on a lead. And she says, okay, not a lead, but you can afford to spend $5,000 on a closed sale. She said, how many people do you talk to before they become a sale. And I said, I I didn't know. She made me track these things. And I said, I probably close half of them, which was totally not true. And she said, well, then you can spend, you can afford to spend $1,500 on a lead. If you close half your appointments, you can afford to spend $1,500. And I was like, I don't think so. And it turned out that at that time, my, I was probably closing, they just, cold, just talk to me, about 30%, which 
which was right in there about average. And the thing is, people don't know their numbers. They don't know how much they're making and they don't know how much these, these leads are costing. So the leads from Lead Heroes, if I don't know what the closing rate, you're saying that it's probably a third, probably 30% closing rate. I think it depends on, I, I, I hesitate at like saying exact, like it'll be this because like each person is different. Yeah. I, like I, I got myself in trouble the other day in my group, you know, basically saying that most agents don't know how to sell, do basic sales presentations. And so like there will be agents that will buy those that get on the phone and they sound like a bit of a jive ass and they'll close none, you know, like, so that, that is a, that is a reality in our business. Right. And they'll be these leads suck. It, it's it's the truth. I think internally, this AEP dependent. We've closed somewhere I, off the top of my head. I know it's somewhere between twenty to twenty five percent of the leads, and I know some of our 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 partner agents are probably somewhere between fifteen to twenty percent. So that that's why I give that range. But yeah, that's, but yeah. that's typical. But on CertifiedMedicareAgents.com, I think it's actually higher closing ratio, and the reason is because you're reading what the client said. I could believe and that. The people that I talk to, they're like, yeah, I, I've closed every single one. And it's just because you're reading it and they've reached out to you. They've reached out. You, you're you not the first one connecting. They're reaching out to you and they're writing down what they want. And I had a, a person send an email instead of doing it the way they're supposed to. It was a consumer that sent an email and said, here's what I need. And as the admin of the site, I wrote back and I said, you need to go into your state and select the person you want to talk to and give them that information, not the way you did it. Because she she just sent an email through the email, the site, you know, and I'm like, I don't know where she is. I don't know where, you know, I don't know where she lives. I know nothing about her. But yeah, so there's different types of leads and different ways to give yourself back more time. So Joanna, what were, so for the listener, Joanna was having some technical troubles. And Kristen and I were talking about ways to improve your life or to get sales, make things easier for you. And in that hustle stage, where you have a 100 or more clients, but you haven't really started building systems yet, that's the hardest stage there is. You're making some money, maybe not enough money, but you're making some money but your life, in my opinion, is miserable during that stage because you're just working all the time because you've got to get enough clients to to break that barrier where you're starting to get referrals. So Joanna, what is your advice for the people in that hustle stage to try to break out of that hustle stage so that they can grow their business without having to work 100 hours a week? Cross-sell. I think that many agents in our demographic, so many, mo- all three of us primarily some Medicare as our love, our true heart. <laughs> but I think that after watching my downline and everybody else's downline, I don't think a lot of our peers are cross-selling enough. If you're selling somebody a Medicare supplement and a prescription plan, nine times out of 10, they're also going to say, well, what about my ears and my eyes and, and my teeth, Right. And what about that 401k that's sitting over at my former employer? And what about my life insurance that I left at my former employer? Many of us, and I started this way myself, I started as a life agent, but I was always afraid to to ask my Medicare consumer about their teeth in their ears and their eyes or about their life insurance and what their plans are. 
And here's the thing. I had to understand that they're not going to reject me. Once you make the main thing the main thing, okay, Kathy, I got your Medicare done. You're leaving your group plan to go over to this Medicare supplement plan G or whatever it is. Hey, we didn't talk about your ears and your eyes and your teeth yet. You know, is that something important to you? What do you plan on doing? Are you self-insured for that? And many times people were like, oh, I value these teeth. I probably need some work done. What can we do about my dental? Right. So dental insurance, it's another commission check. Is Dental insurance usually pays the agent the same month they write it. Right. So if I write a dental plan to start tomorrow or December 1st, I usually get paid in the next couple of weeks. Whereas a lot of times with Medicare, we don't get paid that the next day, the next week. We usually get paid a month away or three months away. So dental insurance, ask them about their life insurance. So once once you're my customer, Kathy, I have a business relationship with you. I can ask you about any other products I want to because you're my customer now. But maybe not in that right? appointment, right? Maybe later. Not in that appointment, right. So, hey, Kathy, did you get your insurance cards? You know, do you understand how this works? Do you understand that you don't need a primary to refer you to a specialist with this Medicare supplement? And then bring up the conversation. Okay, so now that you're retired and left your job, did you transfer your life insurance from that job to a policy that you own and control? I was just at a family funeral on Tuesday. You know what I'm saying? And being at the cemetery, I was just wondering how many of these folks don't have a policy that they own and control? Because many times as a life insurance agent, people say, well, I got it at my job. What happens when that job is no longer your daily routine, right? So cross-selling, Medicare Advantage. There's two holes in almost every Medicare Advantage plan for folks who do not have Medicaid. And that is chemotherapy, cancer, Part B drugs. And there's a lot of Part B drugs on the market right now. There's a lot of injectables, right? I'm not talking about just chemotherapy. There's drugs on the market that are thousands and thousands of dollars for osteoporosis and things yeah, like that. Prolia and all that, yeah. Right. Skyret Sky and stuff, right? All the stuff. Yeah. And then the other one is the hospital stay. Some plans do it like $300, $400 a day for like day one through five, day one through seven. I've seen it all. Oh, you know, I have something to ask both of you. Uh-huh. Do do. I know you do. You do ACA. What about you, Kristen? Are you dabbling in ACA? We do ACA. I reluctantly got into it a few years I, ago. And kick, kicked and screamed every step of the way, but I finally... And jo- Joanna's smiling and being like, I oh, because she was telling me years yeah. ago that I was missing the oh, I just, I just sold an ACA policy. It only covers two days in the hospital. Oh. Two days. I'm like, how can they get away with that? How can how can they say they're not going to cover if the client needs a five day hospital stay? I need to see the summary of benefits. I'll show it me, to you. Me, it's a me big as well. Company. I've never seen it, anything like that. It, it's a big company that's a BS company where I live. A big BS, big BS company. <laughs> and shout them out. Two day shout shout them out, a, Kathy. It's got a two day hospital maximum. So yeah, that that client definitely needs a hospital indemnity. I don't know if that's against the ACA. That's what I was law. I'm like, is that? I need, even I need to see the summary of benefits. <laughs> well, well, so show me. Now I don't think it is because ACA in that market, you are more likely to have somebody our age who is in a 
car accident or a traumatic accident is there for a long time. Uh, I've got less than a dozen ACA clients. I was forced to sell them because I live in a 55 and older community and everybody has a spouse that's mm-hmm. under those darn spouses. I know. <laughs> so you both have these things that you're doing for your clients. So you're talking, Joanna, about cross-selling. Mm-hmm. Kristen and I were just talking about automation. Mm. Do either of you help with automating this cross, like your downlines? Are you helping them automate the cross-selling or is that on your ticket for next year? Like, how do you get this automation of cross-selling going? Or do you just pick up the phone and say, hey, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about this. Now I want to talk to you about that. How are you getting that going? That's all we have time for today, folks. But join us in the next episode where Christian shares a story about how he overcame his reluctance to sell dental insurance. Joanna tells us how to easily double your book of business. And I tell you how I'm using a video to cross sell. So we'll see you next time in the Insurance Business Babes podcast.